Welcome to Profiles, a three-part podcast that dives deep into the lives of promotional products professionals. Profiles is brought to you by Promo Journal, a division of Promo Corner. Promo Journal provides fresh, daily content from industry thought leaders. Blogs, videos, product features, and live content all in one convenient location. Weekly advertising opportunities are available. Contact sales at promocorner.com to get your message seen. Hello and welcome to our fourth series of Promo Corner's new podcast, Profiles, where we're talking with longtime industry professionals about their experiences and their take on the promotional products world today. I'm your host, Steve Woodburn, and thank you for listening. Daryl Griffin, the founder and CEO of distributorship Accolades, Inc. in Atlanta, Georgia, has been at it for 31 years. One of the reasons her business has thrived during that time is because she believes in knowing your numbers. I talked about knowing your numbers, uh, specifically about going after RFP business or whatever, but the reality is going after any piece of business, you need to know your numbers. You need to know your profit margin. You need to know uh, current revenue, past revenue, because past will help you with trending. You need to know if you can afford time-wise or otherwise to get this business, Um, especially with an RFP. We did one last year that we lost and it was hurtful. (laughs) Nobody wants to lose. But what really hurt was the amount of money that we had to invest in um, uh, samples and um, deadlines and, 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 and whatever. And to end up losing it, you always know that you, you could, it's a 50, 50 shot. Um, when I look back at the money and time we invested, we really should not have gone after that piece of business. So I'm always conscious of, uh, where I am with my margin. Your revenue is important but you eat out of margin. You pay your bills out of margin. You pay your salaries out of margin. You got to take care of your supplier first. So you need to always know that. And when the business you're going after has other competitors also vying for it, you need to learn what their strengths and weaknesses are. But you have to know your numbers. You have to know your competition. You have to know their strengths Back in the day when I started my business and I would go to um, shows or or whatever, not shows, trying to understand what my competition was doing and where I could carve out a niche, a niche. I used to have my friends call them and ask for their brochures. And I had a stockpile of those. This was before the internet that I could go on and find out who their customers were or whatever. But I did find out how they went to market. And I did find out how my brochure needed to look. That's why I spent a lot of money because I'm trying to keep up with the likes of these big companies and I'm one person. Another reason to know where you stand financially, especially when it comes to RFPs and RFQs, is because you may have to spend significant amounts of money before knowing if you'll even be awarded the bid. Are you gonna have to do a lot of specs? Do you have a good relationship with your supplier that he's going to help you out? He or she will help you out? Or do you have to foot all of the the costs for these things? How many locations do you have to send them to? We're in a virtual world right now. And decision makers do not sit around a conference table to make a decision on who won something. 
they also are not going to ask for uh, one golf shirt that they are going to take the responsibility for the sample to mail it to the six people on the committee. I got to do six shirts and I got to get them to six different people or six cups or six, whatever. Those are expenses that you need to consider when you're going for this, read what they're asking you and be realistic. Yes, there's risk. Yes, we take risk. But knowing your numbers will dictate to you how much risk you can take. You can't be risk averse and be in this business. Okay, You're, you're not going to make it too far. Because when your money runs out, you're just kind of sitting there. But understand your tolerance from a financial perspective, because at the end of the day, you've got to keep that business going. Whether you get this RFP or get this piece of business or not, you've still got to keep your doors open, pay your salaries and benefits, buy those new computers, whatever those investments are. So I am big on the numbers. Um, before I make any major, major decision, um, can we afford this? Can we af not afford it? We ask that question also. Um, boy, if we don't go after this, gosh, we could really, we could, this will help us. So you've got to ask the tough questions of your self, or if you're big enough to have a, a team, your finance team, or your sales manager team or your CFO team, ask those questions so that this one piece of business you're going for will, will help to make you and not break you. There came a time when Daryl looked at her numbers and a certain amount of fear set in. So much so that she did something that could have changed her life. We've all come to that brink in a business. I have that can I stay in here? Can I make it? Um, and, and I was at the end um, one time where I went and actually interviewed uh, for a job outside of this industry because I'm thinking, am I going to make this? Um, only one person knew that I interviewed for that job, and that was my husband. And was it a certain amount of fear? Yeah. Was it a certain amount of um, great disappointment that I could not make this business go? Yep, it was all those things. And as I interviewed, it was a great position. It, it was a wonderful position. And as I interviewed for it, um, I started having thoughts. Do I really wanna leave what I built? Do I really wanna do I really want to do this? But my numbers were telling me, Daryl, you need to, you need to move on. You need to move to a, a steady paycheck or a steady environment that is your nine to five. I don't like that term, but this is what you need to do. And um, I ended up not doing it. There were five people that I interviewed with that day. And the one that took me to lunch. Um, was really, I made my decision at lunchtime. Um, I don't remember the, what we talked about, but I can remember that I'm not going to do this. I'm going to hang in there with accolades and I'm going to make this happen. And I think it was um, 
sitting in that big cafeteria. It, it was a number of things, but at the midpoint of that day, because I had a day of interviews, I decided I'm going to make this go. As a distributor, Daryl understands the suppliers she chooses to use must be her partners. It's a two-way street, and both parties must be on board to create a relationship of mutual trust and respect. We, one of the things we do annually is we look at our suppliers and we vet them and we talk about them and we evaluate them. You know, how many returns did we get back from these people? How many, whatever, because we don't manufacture anything. We are totally reliant on our suppliers to back us up, to give us good service on the front end and to correct something on the back end. We're totally reliant on them because we are out. It's not in our control once we send that PO other than to call them and harass them. And I don't mean that. So we vet who we bring in. We trust that they are going to partner with us to take care of this third party client over here. And um, outside of just being raised right on politeness, we respect their time when they want to come in and see us. We're not doing 12 things, walking in and out of the conference room. Um, we need a partner that when it goes wrong and something is going to go wrong. We don't expect 100% perfection because I can't deliver that. So I can't expect it of someone else. But um, we're respectful of our partners, our supplier partners, because they are truly partnering with us to get this to this third party over here. So that is another piece. It's not necessarily differentiating, but I've had suppliers to tell me, gosh, you guys, <laughs> you guys sit here and you're listening. Yeah, we ought to be listening and we need to be taking notes uh, about projects and, and things that we can do because suppliers are critical to our success. Clients are critical, but I can have all the clients in the world. And if I can't deliver to them, you know, glad to have them, but then I need to go into manufacturing and make all the things or decorate everything on my own. And that is not my, that's not what I want to do but I'm very respectful of those that do that. She's been in business now for 31 years. And as most of us do, she has a few regrets. Yeah, I have a regret. That there have been a few opportunities over 31 years to have grown my business. One of them, I kind of screwed up screw it myself by not adding enough manpower for this project. Um, I was looking at the numbers and the numbers told me that I just could not hire. The reality was I could have. So uh, that's one that I could have really, I would be in a very different place had I made a very different decision about numbers. I don't regret staying small per se. But I will say that staying small has, um, it's had its positives and negatives. Um, I never wanted to, I never looked at it being a $20 million company. But 
I do look at the time I just talked about and maybe one or two others where the risk just seemed too great for me to move forward. Um, those are regrets. Nothing that, uh, I mean, I stay up at night thinking about, but now that you've asked me that question, um, yeah, I could have grown, I could be, I could have um, developed several different capabilities uh, to compete. Um, I could have added more services, more people, whatever. Yeah, those are regrets of mine. Even more importantly, though, she has many things that make her proud. What I'm most proud of has very little to do with, with accolades. I'm proud of my family. It started with me leaving, um, leaving corporate America for my son. I, um, I keep a picture here. He was my first employee. That's Michael at a trade show in the summer of 1990. And he has his church suit on and he got paid $5 and all the food he could eat. And it would have been cheaper just to pay him because um, he, he was 10. I mean, he ate a lot and he had to, um, he understood it. He had to take the suit and tie on a hanger because we had to unload the car, sweat it out. His job was I gave away, I bought a little laminating machine and he'd have to ask the people for two business cards. And he, one went into a bag, that was my lead. And the other, he made a luggage tag out of it. He had a little laminated card and then he put a little string on it. And we had this big sign that said, we wanted to attract him to the booth and it said free, free luggage tag. And, um, so I'm proud of the fact that I left my dream company, my dream position to uh, raise my son. And in, he didn't come to accolades right after college. As a matter of fact, we never really discussed it. And he came to us in 2008, came out of college in 05. And, um, but it was always with the understanding that if you want to make a lot of money, you've either got to go make a lot of money or you can leave. It, it meant that very positively. So he's always known the door is open when, when they were expecting their first child. Michael, you can make more money. You leave. No, I'm going to stay. Second child, you can make more money. So he's known that. So I'm most proud of that full circle that has come around that I will tell you was not planned. I'm proud of, and I guess you'd say proud, friends I've made in this industry 31 years ago that I still have. I'm proud of that. It's not a huge number, um, but they're still there. Um, I'm proud of clients. I have, I believe, double digits that are still with me 31 years later not a lot, but they're still there. Um, we're friends. We're professional friends, but if I need something, I'm going to call accolades. Um, but I think I'm most proud that I have had the opportunity to um, 
keep my family going and um, and enjoy success. 2019 was a big year for Daryl in terms of recognition within the industry. She was honored with not just one, but two PPAI Achievement Awards. 2019, I, um, I received the Ted Olson Humanitarian Award uh, from PPAI, uh, number seven, I believe, to uh, receive that. That made me, um, that was a source of pride for me. And in that same year, um, I received the um, Woman of Achievement Award from PPAI. And those are important as it relates to this industry and to, um, and I will say, let me be clear, I was the co-recipient with um, Irene Kogut um, from DART Manufacturing for the Woman of the Year. I'd like to be very clear on that. Um, both of those were extremely and are extremely important to me, um, but especially the humanitarian award. It has special significance because it tells me that what I was doing was okay. You know, that you're, it's not about the revenue or the, that you're trying to be the, the whatever. It was about that I, I helped somebody. It was also significant to me that at the time uh, I got the announcement, I was in chemotherapy heading there and not for cancer and not able to travel to um, Las Vegas to get the award. My son went and uh, accepted it on my behalf. And I can remember having a conversation with Paul Bellantone that <laughs> we needed to get the acceptance video done before my hair fell out. And, <laughs> and it was coming out. And um, so we got the video done with my real hair. And shortly thereafter, uh, there was no hair. Whether we intend to or not, we all leave behind a legacy for others to see. Legacies rarely happen overnight and usually take a lifetime to create. So what does Daryl want her legacy to be? One of service, that I help somebody, I talked to somebody, I hugged somebody, I, um, that I did something small that made a big difference. Um, doesn't work for me that it had to be on the front of the AJC or the Dunwoody Crier or the, that's fine. Um, I'm glad that I, I'm, I'm still humbled by awards. But at the end of the day, those go into a storage facility or they sit in your home somewhere. But if I've touched somebody um, in their heart or their life, or maybe I took that phone call when I just did not want to, and, or I took it and it turned into a very long conversation, but I stayed on, I, I hung in there. That's what I want somebody to remember. Um, something small that I did or, or small in my opinion, that was big to them. That's what I want somebody to remember uh, about me that I helped you to get to point B. We might not have gotten there like you wanted, but 
maybe I said something or maybe I called somebody to help get you get the job or I wrote the, the letter of recommendation or I connected you in some way. Yeah. That's what I'd like for my, uh, my grandchildren to know about me. Um, yeah, I would. As a result of the pandemic, Daryl made a really tough decision in regards to the office space she had been in for most of the time Accolades, Inc. has been in existence. Uh, change in Accolades. Our, during the pandemic, okay. in March, I had just viewed, my lease was ending in May, and I had just, two days before the shelter in place, had viewed six properties. Oh, wow. And um, made the tough decision to become virtual Yeah. Uh, when my lease ended in May. I felt okay. good that I did not leave any landlord holding the bag. <laughs> um, moving, in a, moving 30 years in one place, you really know you're a pack rat and you really know, <laughs> you find out a lot about yourself. And also being extremely vigilant, it just ended up being my son and my husband and I, and, and my son had a guy with a truck and we got 30 years out of there and moved. It was a very tough decision for me. Yeah. And um, for all of 26 years, I was in a space. And Steve, you've been there. And uh, not to have a, a showroom or not to have a conference room. And that was a part of my identity. And I, I admit uh, the day that, that we drove off, that May, last day in May, was a very difficult drive off for me. Daryl's not ready to retire just yet and will continue to do what she does best, helping her customers with their branding and marketing challenges, mentoring young people to guide them in finding their path, volunteering her time and energy, and being with the family she adores. We're busy interviewing other industry icons, so be on the lookout for our next series. From all of us here at Promo Corner, thanks for listening to Profiles. I'm Steve Woodburn. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to Profiles. Join us again as we continue to explore the lives of people who have impacted our industry. Profiles was brought to you by Promo Journal, a division of Promo Corner. Promo Journal provides fresh, daily content from industry thought leaders. Blogs, videos, product features, and live content all in one convenient location. Weekly advertising opportunities are available. Contact sales at promocorner.com to get your message seen.